0: Hey, my name is Julie Leone and this podcast is called What's Your Thing? This is where I have conversations with people about their passions, ideas, pastimes, missions or lifestyle that I find inspiring. I hope you do too. Good evening, it's Julie again, and today I'm talking to Dorota, Dorota Owen, whose website I'll put in the show notes. Um, and I've known Dorota probably 10 years now, which is a weird thought. Um, and we met at a time when I was coming out of my marriage, and I remember sitting at the kitchen table trying to work out what I could do for a holiday that would work for me and the kids. And a friend with me at the time. Um, I'd seen this advert for a place called Kalikarlos in Greece which sounded perfect but it was a little bit more expensive than I wanted and this friend said you just have to go, you've got to go uh, and so I went to this place and actually um, I, I would say in, in very significant ways it changed my life and Dorota was the facilitator on that course and when I was just saying to Dorota because she's a woman with many hats which will probably become clear as we're talking and I said how shall I introduce you and she said as a teacher. And so uh, welcome, Dorota. And um, it's really nice to have you here on this dark. This is a New Year's Eve. We're recording this on both of us from lockdown. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself and what your thing is. I can't wait to have our conversation.
1: Uh, thank you, Julie. I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation because I haven't seen you for ages and I really love your energy and I admire all the things you're doing. Oh. I'm here in Scotland, in uh, in the north of Scotland, and I feel really, really lucky because I live near this enchanting place called Findhorn. And that was a really big draw in my life, that when I was a small child, I think about eight years old, I actually heard about Findhorn. I, I heard about a book that was called The Magic of Findhorn. And I just thought, wow, that sounds great. I'd love to go there and uh, people said to me well why didn't you go and I said well because because I was eight I didn't actually have authority to make those <laughs> kind of decisions." and I kind of spent you know a great chunk of my life uh, trying to get here and it took me forever because all sorts of obstacles came in the way such as living abroad and getting married and having children but finally I did come here in 2003 so this is now do you know this is like 17 years later and uh, so I'd say that Finthorn really is my thing and I work as a teacher in many many different contexts but, but that work has really been informed by my experience of being closely connected to this spiritual community and I also trained to be an interfaith minister so as a spiritual counselor or as a creator of ceremonies or rituals again those have been threads that come into my work as a teacher and i do genuinely love teaching both adults and children in schools and abroad in in different sort of settings holistic centers and so on Uh, but at the at the root of it is just a real love for for being with people in a particular way that's very uh, creative, you know. So I, I, at the moment, because of the, the lockdown, I've come back from working internationally. And what I always do when I come back to Scotland is I just go back into school as a substitute teacher. So I actually came back on the um, 10th of November and I put it on Facebook that I was coming back. And the deputy head of the local school said, you know, got in touch immediately and said, can you start on Monday? <laughs>
0: Before we go any further, I'm just thinking there might be some people that don't know what Fintorn is. So, do you mind just saying a little bit about what Fintorn is? is. Yeah. Well, about uh,
1: 60 years ago, in the early 60s, a, a very small group of people, three people who had meditated over the course of 10 years together, came to live here, and out of their very devoted spiritual listening they began a community here and more and more people started to come to meditate and to really connect with the land. And out of that grew uh, an eco village, uh, an education center, a place where people from really all over the world have been magnetized, really drawn to come. So it's quite an international community and there's about 500 people living on on the peninsula where the eco villages, but many, many more people living within the region around, like I do, and then of course even more people living around the world who've been visitors to venthorn and transformed by their experience, so that when they went back to wherever they lived, they've set up their own uh, little communities. So it's been a really influential pearl of a community and it's also got a kind of magic just like the book said there is something really magical about being here and and i really would credit my connection with this land with this place as being the source of my inspiration in in all of the work that i do but you can look it up online there's a good website findhorn.org because of the pandemic it's had to close and it might not reopen for a very long time and a lot of the staff very sadly have been made redundant there's really been no other option but we're all kind of holding the vision for something to re-emerge, be something quite changed but the beautiful thing is that lots of people came to live here and they're all living in houses and connecting with each other through a community association and because of Zoom and digital communications we're more connected than ever so we meet regularly on zoom and a lot of the rituals and the learning is still taking place online but now it's available globally so that actually is quite exciting
0: mm, mm. and and I'm thinking that as you say the word ritual for some people that will be a kind of maybe a, a question mark or even a kind of s- switch off they might so just again so I know that we had rituals when we were in Calicarlos, but I wonder what could you just again speak a bit to what What ritual means in a fin torn sense? Yeah, well, I think
1: everybody's aware that we have birthday rituals like happy birthday cakes wedding rituals people throw confetti and we have those rituals in Fintorn like for example we have the Fintorn birthday every year where the whole community gets together and we have uh, a concert a sort of variety show where everybody puts on their best hat and we have songs and dances and then we have a gigantic birthday cake so that's not very different from most people's experience of a birthday but in Fintorn there's also uh, it's, it's a very international cosmopolitan multiply influenced place so for example it might celebrate some some um the solstice is a big deal for us like the the two solstices the summer solstice and the winter solstice particularly the winter one very beautiful ceremony so what we often did in the past is there would be a spiral made of winter greens and in the center candles and little angel cards and you could walk through that spiral in the darkness with a candle and then light your own candle from the center and then pick an angel card and then come back and then you would meditate with that and that would be your guiding principle for the year and this year we couldn't do it in the same way because obviously we couldn't get into the building but then it's so creative and spontaneous at Findhorn. it was decided to create the whole event outside and then it was even more beautiful because mm-hmm. instead of a candle there was a fire a big huge bonfire in a pit and all the little lights were laid out outside with winter greens in the forest and there was a huge arch of twinkly lights to welcome us in So these are the kind of rituals that we would have in Fidthorne that aren't set in stone. Every year they're renewed in different ways. And I would say that we certainly have traditions now. But, you know, like everybody else, for example, our Christmases and our New Year's, they've been reset. We don't have the same kind Mm. of, like we would have had a gigantic New Year party. I mean, that's obviously not going to happen. But then there's been lots of amazing Zoom Conversations that have been in a way recreated as rituals where each person gets a chance to speak and everybody is their witness. So it's um, yeah, I think that's what I would say about rituals. They're simply ceremonies or events that mark important times in a way that are very inclusive and artistic and creative.
0: Because what I liked when we first met was you played the role of a focalizer, and I used to and, uh, and you used to introduce the food so that we had that thing, didn't we, where people would cook food and then the focalizer for the kitchen would introduce the food. <laughs> and then we'd all kind of, you know, before we dived in, so it kind of wasn't like saying grace, but it was a sense of the journey that the food had taken to get to the people to eat it and uh, just a pause. Uh, and it does, for me, it kind of made it special and also kind of brought everyone together, kind of brought your attention to something that maybe we'd have just sat down and stuffed our faces with. <laughs> well, I think you've just summed it up really perfectly. It was to bring attention
1: to it and to make it special and gather us all together in a very inclusive yeah. way. And, you know, you can do that with 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 everything, because absolutely every single thing that we experience in our life, we can choose how to uh, how to involve ourselves in it. We can choose to make it special bring attention to it, bring everybody else and involve ourselves, or we can choose to, you know, open up a tin of beans in the kitchen and eat it cold with a spoon. That's your choice about how you eat your meal, that these are two extreme opposites. And I think that, you know, at this time during the pandemic, I think a lot of us have been able to understand that we've missed out on so many pleasures that we took for granted in the past Mm. but I think what Vinhorn did for me was it it showed me that you don't need to take anything for granted everything that comes our way we can turn it into the object of an attunement or a ritual and and make it special and celebrate it so for me life is one big long celebration Uh, but
0: uh, and it really is I mean my experience of you is that you are always I've never heard you tell a story that in which you're miserable and feeling hard done by you know even uh you know that you used to be your website used to be something about alchemy didn't it it was it and I think that is my experience of you and I wonder again so I know that what before we had this conversation we were talking about self-care and kind of that's your thing but and I'm wondering how that links in with alchemy because I think we'll kind of come back to the self-care but also I do think you are a bit of an alchemist. Um, And I think it's something that people, you know, can learn. Can you you share some of your alchemical secrets? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I agree
1: that I have looked back at my life. You know, I'm 61 now and every single thing that I tell you about my life will sound like a funny story. Or even the things where things were technically, you know, you could call them bad or unhappy or dreadful. When you look back and you think, oh, wow, that was the catalyst for this amazing new chapter and so on. But i have to say that it it came to me through my family connection my grandfather my family are polish my grandfather during the war was sent to siberia and ended up in a gulag um you know it wasn't uh, a happy it wasn't something that you would think oh yeah that's going to end up with a happy outcome but he had an attitude to the circumstances in which he found himself that first of all he was a realist and a pragmatist and he would assess right what's going on here And then he had the imagination to look at what was the positive side of that. And then he had the practical skills, the charisma, the communication skills, he could amplify that. So when he survived that experience and walked all the way back from Siberia to Turkey and found his way back to the UK and started a family and so on, our family would listen enraptured to the funny tales he would tell about his time in Siberia. (laughs) So that was a great sort of role model that everything could be turned into a, a funny tale or, or it would be definitely a learning experience for sure. But that's probably the kind of root of my happiness is about self-care that I really do take care of myself and that's extended into my family self-care. I think I've, I've really sort of influenced my, my own family to, to think about eating really good food having as much exercise and sleep as we need, looking after our bodies, tending to our relationships, having really clear communication. And all of that is the framework by which we create really resilient structures within our own selves and with our own family network and within our friendship network. So I think all of the work that I did at Cali, at Cali Class as a facilitator of what we called Family Experience Week, I was learning that for myself. We were all learning from each other, but in particular, I think my children were, were learning all of that. And now, you know, to my great pride and joy, my, my daughter Rose is training to be a facilitator of what we call radical honesty. So so I think, you know, if you want to give it a name, this radical honesty is what I talked about with my grandfather. It's not being wide-eyed and naive and Pollyannaish about the world. You know, it's there really are problems. You need to sort of look them in the face and go, okay, here's the situation. And then you think, well, what are my resources? What are my inner resources? How can I make a difference? How can I make this into a positive experience? And so, you know, I think the pandemic is a perfect time to use that toolbox. And I think many, many of us have experienced some grim realities as a result of the situation the world is in. And many of us have managed from time to time to find a flip side and say, well, actually, you know, maybe we were being uh, over, uh Consumerist in our approach to say the ritual of Christmas, and maybe it is a nice thing to spend quiet time with our family in the depths of winter and really enjoy each other's so company and not have to jump in and out of the car and drive to lots of mm. <laughs> retail parks and things like that. So, I mean, I'm only giving that as as one sort of example. So, yeah, the the root of my skills as an alchemy, as an alchemist, as a person who wants to find the positive in things and to turn things around and to be a catalyst for that in larger structures such as organisations where I've worked, it comes back to uh, really, number one, look after myself. Because I think if I was tired out, if I had not had enough sleep, if I was stressed, I wouldn't be able to access the resources within myself. That would be able to benefit others
0: and that's such a I mean that's one of the things that I've really learned from you and feel like I'm still learning from you and it's such a when I'm coaching women in particular it's the hardest hardest thing for so many women in particular and mothers more so maybe to do because it we have an internal voice which tells us that self-care is selfish and that we. we've you know, there's a story, isn't there, about uh, putting everybody else first and, you know, particularly if you're a mum, you've got to put your children first. And uh, so I'm curious about, you know, how you're, because you're a mum, how did you, how was that for you, the self-care thing, when you're a mum? Because often, you know, I remember watching you and thinking, well, I don't have time for, (laughs) I don't have time for that, because I'm too stressed, because I'm running around with my children. And, you know, I can hear now a kind of real, like almost a martyrdom going on there. So I'm curious about how that was for you. <laughs>
1: well, um I had a good role model in my mother. Um she uh, was was beautiful and stylish and I would look at her and think, oh my God, she looks great. I want to be like that. But also in a, in another way I had a good role model in my mother and um She had been born in 1939 in Poland. You know, it wasn't a great year, not a great choice. Her early years were during the occupation and she witnessed some dreadful things and I'm quite sure she suffered from PTSD throughout her life and she got very stressed very easily and she would fly into temper at the drop of a hat and there was a lot of screaming and hitting and I just looked at her and I thought, I'm never going to be like that. I'm just never going to be like that. And that and that was, it was so ingrained in me that that wasn't going to happen when it was my turn to be a mother. And also I became a mother quite late in life. I was 33, so I'd already kind of lived a life where I'd learned things and I had a job and I was independent. And I thought, well, if I need extra help, I can pay for it. I can pay for someone to come and do some cleaning. And when I came to live in the, in the UK in 2003 with my kids as a single mother, I really did look out to see who else could help me. So I couldn't really afford to pay the mortgage. So I brought in a lodger. Lodger turned out to be a lovely, lovely person with kids so um you know he knew how to be with kids so it meant that he was there to to be i think they call it a manny don't they a nanny <laughs> who's a manny. but he was great and then you know again it really asking for help or, or building networks that really helped so i never felt that it was just me alone who was the person that was fully responsible for my children, I always felt that there were other people around me. Of course it did help that I was living next to the Veninha community because there were lots of people I could draw on to trust. But I think you know you talk about the internal voice about you know have to look after everybody else first of all, well, I didn't have that internal voice that my internal internal voice was if I collapse, everything else will collapse. So it's really important. I'm the sole breadwinner here. I'm the sole caretaker here. If something happens to me, it's not going to look pretty. So I always was very aware that I had this responsibility to be well, but also that I could draw on other people. And I certainly did that a lot. And then there was just, I think the question of being an older mother just made it easier. Because I think by the time you're into your I think, yeah, I was 43 when I came, I I was very old. My my son was born when I was in my early 40s. You know, I'd already been through some really difficult scenarios. And uh, yeah, I was just a lot calmer, I think. And also here in Scotland, in the north of Scotland, it wasn't a kind of consumer society where you needed to have a lot of money to show off to everyone. It's the lowest wage economy in the whole of the UK, I think. So you could kind of manage with less money because things were cheaper. Everybody went to Oxfam shops to buy their clothes and yet still had a kind of sense of style. So I didn't have the sense that I had to keep up with appearances if i'd been in a different kind of environment so i think that that really did help and then the other thing that happened of course which was wonderful is that one of the people at vintorn who loved it but didn't like the weather decided to found a community in greece for the (laughs) summer months and that that was jock we both laughed because he was quite a pioneer and he said to me why don't you bring your kids to greece and and run this workshop it was amazing. He gave me that start and I just thought it was a great idea because I really wanted to get out of cold, wet, rainy Britain in the summertime. So that was a real life changer for me to, to make my children part of my work so that we went there together. So that was, I mean, I'm sure that's not available to everyone, but I think you could consider it. That you, it's not that you're a servant to your children. You and your children are part of a team together. So I think we had that sense that we were kind of in it together and that certainly helped. And it gave them a lot of responsibility as they were growing up and everybody had their own jobs. Um, And I think the other thing that really helped is I laid down a kind of ground rule from the very, very beginning, which was that we had to be really honest with each other. So if, for example, they did something wrong or they broke something, you know, I'd say, if if you tell me this when it happens, I won't get angry and I won't get upset because I'm gonna, not going to discover it and suddenly get a shock. So that made, that was a real game changer, because if they did break something, they'd all come running down the stairs going, Mommy, 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 I'm going to tell her first. We broke a lump. We broke a lump. I go, that's fine. That's fine. No problem. You know? So there was that kind of culture of... Um, I don't know how to put it exactly, but it it wasn't like I was fighting against their behaviour. You know, it was it was uh, everything would be okay from my point of view, as long as we were pulling together. So that that really helped a lot. And I think you probably noticed that by some people's standards, I'm enormously permissive as a parent. And I think that's because I trusted my children completely. And I said that to them really, really clearly. I trust you completely until the moment where you break my trust and then you've lost everything and they really really took that to heart so that made a big a big big difference I think that was a that was you know a really key ingredient in making my life a lot easier
0: (laughs) Mm. yeah and that makes so when I'm thinking about the single mother bit and how everything you know your biggest investment is you because everything falls to pieces without you i think that understanding came to me later but it's so true isn't it and 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 even for women and men in you know relationships actually yeah what would happen to your kids you know i think covid has flagged that up for a lot of families hasn't it is actually it's not the tv that keeps the family together it's the people the people yeah
1: yeah and, totally
0: and investing in those people and that honesty and things. So, so what would you say to somebody who's got a really heavy kind of internal voice about selfishness? It's selfish to, um, you know, go for a snooze in the afternoon or it's selfish to, um, you know, go and get your uh, go and get a massage. How would you what would you say to those people?
1: I'm just amazed that you've just said those exact words, uh, Julie, because I have just emerged from my fabulous snooze. <laughs> <laughs> I think the kids used to hear mommy's just going to have a little bit of a lie down (laughs) that's part of their childhood background Um, well look you know I can't change anybody else's behavior but I can tell you that for me personally it really made a very big difference to keep my batteries topped up now I guess the best metaphor for this is your mobile phone you, 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 we all know now that you know, mobile phones an essential piece of equipment. We're not going to do very much without our mobile phones. You know, bank, 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 You know, you're you're banking, you're planning, your communication. So you might decide that your mobile phone will do just great without any battery power, <laughs> and that you might want to just you know roam as far as you can on like one percent. And we all know how uncomfortable that is. You know it's going to go dead any minute, just at the very minute that you need to to make a phone call or something. So I think if you just think of yourself as a mobile phone, because that's actually what you are. You are a mobile communicator in many ways. Then unless you keep that battery topped up, your mobile phone is going to go dead. So I'm not going to make anyone, you know, I'm not going to give anybody (laughs) any, any crosses for being wrong by not looking after themselves. But I'm just going to point out if... If you don't look after the basic function of a machine, it's going to end being efficient. Yeah. Mm.
0: Mm. And I, I wonder how that links. Does that link to commute? Because you've used words about consumerism and and community, and I'm wondering how all those, because your description of Fintorn is that community is more important than consumerism and then that allowed you and your children to kind of it's almost like had a really fertile soil to grow in because you weren't having to grasp at things that that maybe weren't fertilizing the soil and and I'm curious about those consumerism community and COVID I suppose the seed (laughs) or wonder wonder what you're noticing about those things Well, you're right,
1: actually. I think community is infinitely richer, more precious. It's the absolute treasure in comparison to consumerism. And I think, although I'm very happy to go out shopping and have my retail fix from time to time, it is amazing how it just doesn't last that long. And whereas community is like the gift that keeps on giving. Like if you have really, really good friends what a joy it is to spend time with them and just multiply that by 500 how amazing it is to live among a group of people who are so varied in their talents and in their experiences the gifts that they want to share with you and, and i mean it's been an amazing almost 20 years that i've had this experience of being in a community where we've had so much going on every week we get this little digital magazine it's called the rainbow bridge and it's full of uh, advertising for the events that are coming up such as concerts or workshops or walks or things that you can get involved with or things with the kids so there's always something brilliant happening at Ventnor. the joke is that I used to go down to London to see my partner and i just lie there for the weekend doing absolutely nothing because I was <laughs> really enjoying the break from all the activities on at Vintorn so it was absolutely chock-a-block with all these kind of rich events it was really lovely and it was great because you know so many people and you really enjoy seeing all these different facets of them that is just wonderful and now we were out in the countryside it's not it's not so easy to go to to the shops to buy things Uh, you know you could go into town or Inverness but there's just so much going on in the community that uh, it always just felt really really lovely to, to have that going on so it wasn't important to have an expensive car because really like nobody cares Mm -hmm. and uh well that's actually it's quite funny because my partner came up to see me from london he drove up uh, in his bmw (laughs) so i'm now driving his bmw and so i was showing off because i was so excited about actually having a car i haven't had a car in ages and my friend's husband said are you driving the bmw i said yes he said what kind is it i thought i don't know So that's the, the point is these things really don't have any cultural capital here. It's not important. Yeah.
0: And that's the word. I think that was the first time I it's bought. I think it's Bourdieu, is it, who talks about social and cultural capital? And I think you were probably the person that introduced me to those the, the terms from sociology. And I just again, I don't know. It, how do you understand those terms? Because yeah. when I look at you, I think you're incredibly rich in yeah. social and cultural capital, and then economic cap- capital is less important. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, so social capital, if you think about, well, first of all, let's think about
1: economic capital, financial capital, we all know what that is, that's money in the bank. If you've got lots of money in the bank, it definitely extends your choices about how you spend your time and what you do. Um, but. At the same time, it can also make you very lonely. I know one or two people who are very, very wealthy and they don't really know if people are friendly with them to really be their friends or to be friends with their money, for example. And they also have to spend a lot of time thinking about what to do with their wealth and keep it safe. And they feel a little bit endangered whenever there are problems in the world. And this is actually quite a funny story. I'll give you an example of this. I got invited to the millionaire's island of Mustique um, quite a while ago. And they'd been, yeah, I think it was just after the... um, like economic crash of the 2007-2008, remember that time? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'd had a really bad back, and my osteopath, it turned out, had also treated Mick Jagger, and she'd said to me, oh, I can get this invitation to my quite nice for a single mother, you know, on <laughs> working tax credit. So I went and I met these people, and it was really a shame because they'd really been hit hard by the... Um, economic crash and they'd had to make enormous um, you know, sacrifices. They told their housekeeper to buy cheaper, cheaper toilet roll and stuff like that. So we're talking about people who had billions and then maybe they lost like one billion. So even they were already very, very wealthy. They felt attacked or vulnerable by losing some of that wealth and i just thought it was hilarious so that's one thing so financial capital money in the bank but not necessarily making you feel safe or wealthy if you don't have a corresponding abundant consciousness and you can actually have that abundant consciousness without money in the bank because the feeling of having cultural capital is to know things that are interesting to speak other languages to have an interest in um, in culture. So for example, my family are from Poland and during the time that I was growing up, most of my relatives were still sort of stuck behind the Iron Wall, so to speak, in Poland during communist times where really there wasn't much money, there wasn't much abundance, but they had huge cultural capital because if anybody had money, they would spend it on learning a language. And also it was very, very cheap to go to the opera or the ballet. And, and these things were considered important to having... Um, you know a a fulfilling life so that that would be cultural capital so the social capital you speak of is very important to me because of what I spoke earlier about being with my kids not being alone I loved having friends around and I loved having women's groups and sharing information and workshops and all sorts of ways by which we could share our wealth of experience but that social capital also meant that you had bonds with people and it's like having relationships in the bank so you would never feel so vulnerable in a difficult situation because you knew you had friends to call on so you see that's the exact opposite of having a lot of cash cash isn't your friend (laughs) (laughs) it's just money in the bank with which you can buy stuff but what i realized about fintor especially recently is i've had extraordinary and beautiful experiences here that money simply couldn't Bye. so for example last year when I turned 60 one of my friends decided to host a birthday party for me and one of my other friends had a really spectacular and palatial house and she said my husband and I have been talking and we would like to offer you our house for your birthday party and I thought wow that's so generous and then my other friend organized it all and with a bunch of other friends they got bunting and decorations and everybody got food and then uh, they also got the local improvisational theatre group to put on a special Performance, so there we all were sitting in the circle, and then a gigantic parcel came into the room with a yellow ribbon, and I opened it up, and all these people popped out. Ah. Just, it was just the most fabulous birthday party. I felt so kind of loved, and I felt um, so rich. You see, and none of that could be bought. Like you, you simply couldn't buy it. It's all to do with the fruition of one's
0: social capital. Yeah.
1: You know? hmm.
0: And so, what your talking about so we started off as you being a teacher and you know you travel abroad and then you come home and you teach in schools but it and um, but it's almost like some of what i learned from you is about because i can't say it hang on what do i want to say i want to say that it, it's such a different way of being from the dominant cultural narrative isn't it of you know so you operate in schools and I operate in schools and so we know the narrative is get exams to get a job to earn good money and we've probably both seen young people who are so stressed and worried about those exam results because their life is going to end if they don't get those exam results and there's so little of the things you're talking about you know and it starts in schools and then You know what you what you're talking about in so many ways is very countercultural, isn't it? And and kind of almost subversive. Because what you know, I think COVID's been so interesting because what the government really wants is us all to get back out and spend money again. That you know, spend, 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 because 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 then that ties us in, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, it it your what you're saying is so simple and yet so challenging i guess for the dominant
1: yeah Yeah, but i think that you are very very interesting when you say that the message that you're getting from the world is that the government wants us to go and spend money because actually to be honest i believe exactly the same i think it's really important for us to spend money on the things that we want to survive so for example i really consciously overspend Mm -hmm in the local shops when i'm buying food i could easily go to tesco and buy from the cut price corner but tesco are actually doing very very well in their pandemic they don't need my money but the local businesses do so i go to the local baker and i go to the local fruit shop and i go to the local bicycle shop local coffee shop and i actively go out there every day and spend money there and spend just a little bit more than i even need to spend because i want those businesses to mm. stay i want my high street to stay there and i never ever buy in amazon i bought well actually i have bought an amazon twice i bought a dvd for a class about five years ago and I bought um, a kind of shampoo that I wanted, couldn't get anywhere else another time. So those exactly two times I ever spent on Amazon because I'm not interested in increasing the reach of Amazon because they're doing perfectly okay, way more than okay. But the places that I want to survive, they're not doing so well. So that's where I want to put my money. And I want to encourage everybody else to put their money in the beautiful world that we know is possible you know that's mm-hmm. that quotation from charles eisentine's sacred economics i want us to spend lots of money on the things that we want to have so for example yesterday i was in inverness at marks and spencer's because it was the only shop that was open buying um, some things that I needed and it was the only shop that was open of course in the whole of the Highlands but there was the Inverness newspaper and on the front of it was the best news I'd ever seen which was that the Dundragon estate were getting a five million investment to create a rewilding centre yeah that, was an that I've known about from the very beginning when it was available on the market and Trees for Life which was a local charity here in Fintorn began to fundraise for it I mean it just seemed like an impossible task at the time and I was in Involved in one of the fundraising events, it just felt like a huge vision, but Alan uh, Watson Featherstone, he was the person that set up Trees for Life and his vision is for the next 700 years, way beyond his lifetime to reforest Scotland, but there he was putting his energy where his vision for a beautiful world is. And now people are joining in with that vision and now real money is coming there. So 5 million pounds for a rewilding sector, who would have thought that was possible? And there's some jobs that are really worth having to restore a first. So I think we should spend, 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 but not on plastic artifacts that are shipped here from China. I think we should spend on the kind of things that we want to create in our lives that will make people happy so that people can have the kind of jobs that make them deeply fulfilled. And the kind of jobs that people have are the ones where they are connected with something they love. So if I'm, I'm a kind of person that's very sociable, of love being with people, of course I love being a teacher. Because then I'm connected with young children, young people, and, and I'm, I'm doing something that I really, really enjoy. So, you know, I'm not a wage slave. I'm doing something that I love. Well, there's lots of ways of creating work for us. That are to do with connecting our talents to the things that we love doing so that's the world that i want to create and i want everyone to spend loads of money creating that world
0: <laughs> uh, and I, so much of what you say is about creation consciously creating there's kind of that's been a theme running through it all where, so you made conscious decisions about how to parent consciously creating the economy and the job feature you know consciously creating your community yeah, exactly. I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, this is to do with the, the whole uh,
1: science of alchemy as I know it, which I could say an awful lot about, but I'll try and keep it very simple today. So if you think of the word, with, when we think of alchemy, we think of magicians. And if you even look at the word magic, where does it come from? It comes from the word jinn. And the word jinn is from an Arabic word. It's, uh, it's when a little sandstorm in the desert appeared with the wind and the sand and it created what looked like a ghost. The people of the desert would say, oh, there's a genie. There's something being created there. So that word genie actually means the creative spirit. It comes into Latin, becomes genius, the creative spirit. Genius actually meant the spirit of the land. spirit of the place and then it was the spirit of the artist and then we kind of transferred it to the artist himself or herself but that's the origin of it so every single one of us has got this creative spirit within us and it wants to be expressed in the world and when it's not we feel unhappy we don't feel any joy because we're not expressing our particular creative spirit in the world and then the other thing you think about when you think of magic is uh, the word abracadabra abracadabra shazam and voila here it is you know but abracadabra is a great word because it's the aramaic word and what it means is as i speak i create so that business of conscious creation you might have an idea and then the great thing is speak it tell someone else you know for example uh, i want to create a rewilding center well it might sound like a mad idea but the minute you speak it it's as if that idea has entered consciousness and then you you begin to spread it around a, a number of people and it becomes communicated and then the social capital starts to kick in and then other people bring little bits and pieces of that project and then before you know it you know ultimately you create in real reality that particular thing that you really wanted to have you know it's so simple when you break it down to that but you do have to start with i want this particular thing that i want you know and, and that is quite funny because i think in, in the in the former iteration of english to want something meant simply to not have it. You know, he wanted sleep, like he hadn't had enough sleep. So I think it's really good to identify what it is that we actually really want. And you often identify it by being jealous of somebody else who's got it. Brilliant, isn't that? It's an excellent way of finding out what you want. So if you want to consciously create the life that, that you know, for whatever however many years are left for us to live, you and I, Julia, the people that are listening here, what is it we really want our lives to be like? Well, who's got it? Who's got the life that you want? Look at them. And then you can actually identify, you know, you can say, I want to be like her because, or I want to be like him because, and, or else I also want to have such and such in my life. But whatever it is, name it. Uh, and then if you named it, then you can tell somebody else about it. And then you can say, can you help me? that's
0: fairly straightforward and when you (laughs) say it like that it really is isn't it it's want it name it share it ask for help (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah thank you let's write the book shall we
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no sounds like you've got it there's your four parts um yeah and so so do you have what are you wanting at the moment what what are you consciously creating at the moment? Because I know you're involved in, you know, you've got the global eco village stuff. You're involved with Findhorn, We haven't even touched on the global eco village stuff. But what are you wanting? What what are you visioning at the moment? And are you happy to talk about bits of it? Yeah, I am actually. Well,
1: um, I, I'm really in the business of creating miracles. What I've just described to you would be, you know, people would say I want such and such and I can't have it. But then I do get it. And go, Oh, it's a miracle. <laughs> so there's a wonderful game that my friend James Kelly developed. It's called The Miracle Choice Game. And I've been playing that game for about five years. It comes as a box set, a bit like Monopoly. And I actually took it to China and it became quite a big deal there so we're looking at really extending the reach of that game and he's created an app which I haven't seen yet but it'll be great because it'll be in many different languages and um, so there's quite a lot of quite exciting possibilities about the way the miracle choice game is going to be developed but it's quite a funny thing every time I play that game with somebody I, I ask them what is it that you want uh, you know, unless you say it, I wouldn't know what it is that you want, uh, but usually I play with them and then they say, what do you want? And I always say the same thing. And uh, I, I, it sounds very mundane, so I'm just going to tell you what it is. <laughs> I'll keep you, I'll keep him tender hooks for a second. What could I possibly want, Julie? You know, I seem to have absolutely everything, don't I? Because I've been through the process so many times, if I want something, name it you know create it I've pretty much got everything I want what is it that I really really want I want to pay off my credit cards (laughs) (laughs) because the thing about my credit cards is there was a long long period where I really genuinely didn't have any money but there were certain experiences that I wanted to have that I wanted to share with my kids so I said to them we're not going to let not having money stop us I'm just going to borrow the money and we're going to do absolutely everything we've ever wanted to do as a family and then when you've gone and grown up we'll pay it off or well, I'll pay it off obviously so that was what happened so I'm now in the business of paying the credit cards off and I realized it was really good that I got into debt when I did because I now have this you know ambition to pay off these credit cards and I manage it all very well by being what they call a credit card tart by switching them and doing it but you see, the thing is that in a normal world, I could have just retired by now, couldn't I? You know, 61, just say, just retire. But I can't because I have this financial obligation. And I think it's great that I have it because it keeps me, um, keeps me working. You know, it forces me to go to work. I have to go back to school as a supply teacher and I have to um continuously be creative about um, the future development of the miracle choice and all the rest of it so actually the credit card debt is the impetus <laughs> you know it's 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 what gets me out of bed in the morning because otherwise I would just stay in bed eating chocolates and reading novels because I'm that kind of girl
0: <laughs> and what would you want for the world do you have a bigger vision
1: yes i do thank you for asking i do have a very much bigger vision well here's a really remarkable thing because somebody asked me that question two years ago and i said it was in an interview that i did for life passion and business and i said i did they actually said what's your dream and i said well my dream is something that may never happen in my lifetime but nevertheless is what i want to pursue and i said what i really really wished for is for the school curriculums to collapse and for those structures not to be, uh, not to imprison people in the way they had, in that for children to be able to learn in a much more free and self-motivated way and for just for the whole education system to change. I mean, I knew it was a very unlikely thing, but nevertheless, that was what I wanted. Well, here's the extreme (laughs) thing that actually online learning and distance learning and the fact that the schools are going to close in some places and, diff- and, and actually I've seen enormous creativity and ingenuity in the schools that I've been attached with. I still see lots of problems and lots of depression and uh, you know, real difficulties in some ways, but I think in a way, what we're, what we're witnessing this year as a result of COVID is part of that wish is for structures to collapse. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's always a very painful business mm-hmm. for people that are attached to structure. But I also think that what I was talking about earlier about internal resistance rising to meet this transitional time, you know, a lot of people are reaching out to find the things that will help them um, grow stronger during this this period. Not everyone's going to find them. I mean, I know that for sure. But if you look throughout history, there have been many, many transformative events which have been really painful and difficult at the time. But the aftermath of that has always led to a new era. And I think we're definitely heading there. So then the second part of that would be around the structures of the use of fossil fuels, because obviously that's what's got us into this very serious climate change scenario. So my hope is that that's going to start moving in a different
0: direction now. Mm. Mm. Yes. Ho, hey. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Just hear, hear it. And I, I have a sense of thing, almost like people holding on trying to shore the structures up is where it it feels like my impression of where we are at the moment that things are crumbling and, and people are rushing to hold them up.
1: Well, we were, were each one of us unique individuals having a different experience of this event, but when you start to gather the stories together in any ways that are possible. For example, in the witnessing circles on the zoom that we've had with the international global food horn community we are finding a trend in in people understanding that this is a gigantic reset situation. Mm. So, you know, and are, you feel optimistic? are you optimistic? I think that, the, that we have a choice, each of us, don't we? We have a choice to, to, to be optimistic or to be pessimistic. And I think to be optimistic is a more fun choice. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, really, I mean, I think it's more entertaining to think about, uh, it's more enjoyable, it's more nourishing to think of a better future.
0: Mm, Yeah, and creative, creative is a word that springs through everything you're saying, kind of creating that in your mind, and then in your words, and then in your communities, and yeah that in ripples i think
1: i think you kind of get what you talk about really you know um you get more of what you speak to but there's this beautiful uh line of inquiry appreciative inquiry i'm sure that you've heard of this i find that is an extraordinary tool for reframing but also for releasing creativity and ingenuity and i've worked in quite a number of organizations using appreciative inquiry i think that is a really astonishing magical that's like a magic wand you know, it can go into a really difficult uh, situation. I've been to a number of organizations where they'd hit a real kind of crisis point, And I came in as a consultant to do one or two days around the situation. And using a breach of Inquiry has always been the most uh, transformative tool in that kind of situation. It really does lift the energy into opening up into possibilities that are very fruitful
0: and, mm-hmm. and, and very often releases a lot of joy into the room. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciative inquiry, my understanding of that is where you focus on what is working and what is possible rather than it's kind of like the antithesis to something like Ofsted, <laughs> which looks at what's not working. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I, I've got a, a group of friends who run an organization called um, Appreciating People. And uh, they, they were invited to come into the NHS and they found these groups that were looking at what had gone wrong and everybody was all miserable and stressed. And they said, OK, let's turn this around and say, well, what, what went well in this particular hospital? So all these reports came flooding in about what was doing really, really well. And it just completely changed everything because they realized that they could just do more of that. <laughs> and that made a big turnaround. And then I started doing that in schools. So about 2000 and five or six I think it was we put on a conference for teachers in Thinthorn and it was called um, an appreciative inquiry into what's working well in schools and and so a lot of teachers arrived and started having these workshops and experiences about just talking about what was going really well in their particular school. It was a fantastic learning experience for things that people didn't know about. Like I learned so much about what works well in schools and I started doing more of that. And that was a great opportunity to increase my skill set, you know. Mm-hmm. But not just me, everybody else. So, yeah, I think I think appreciating what's working well and doing more of that, again, it's just such common sense, isn't it? Mm-hmm. As opposed to yelling people for getting it, yelling at people for getting it wrong, never improves things.
0: Mm. And it, that kind of cycles back to your kind of how you were as a mom, you know, that kind of well. Let's be honest, uh, but let's do this as a, let's do this as a team so I'm curious Dorota what so we're kind of i am just got an eye on the time and I'm curious is it like if you could talk to your younger self now is there anything that you wish she'd known or that you wish you could have told her that's such an interesting question
1: let me think I um I was thinking recently is um, when I was younger, I always hoped that I could have a really glamorous life that I could be famous and like a film star and be a celebrity um, and, and not have to deal with the nitty gritty of life that I wouldn't be a social worker or, or, or a lawyer because that would be too much hard work. I'm well, Being really brutally honest, I had that kind of idea that that was the kind of life that I wanted to have, but it seemed very, very unlikely. Uh, because I wasn't beautiful and um, I, I, you know, I didn't really have um, I didn't have a way into that kind of life but in the end uh, I actually have had a very glamorous life you know, it's really ironic isn't it But I did it by being a teacher, strangely enough. And then last night, I realized that I had to get in my child protection assessment to stay registered as a teacher. So I went online, I did it, finished at 11.58, managed to submit it the day before it was due. And it was really all about the nitty gritty of the law in relation to caretaking children through all sorts of, you know, potentially horrendous experiences. And what I realized was that actually um, it was really important to have it all to, to be able to understand the, the, the wonderful, exciting, glamorous things that life has on offer. But to be fully aware and able to deal with all the grittier and more difficult aspects of so the lesson. I, I, I think what I would have said to myself is, don't worry, you're going to have it all. <laughs> you're going to have it all. Life is long. It's all going to happen. You don't need to rush. And you don't need to think you're missing out and that you're not going to achieve what you want. Basically, what you need to tell your younger self is you can just have it all, <laughs> mm.
0: the, whole, the whole enchilada. <laughs> and that, I'm reflecting that there is that sense of almost like when I was growing up 60 or 50, so I'm 50 whatever now, like it was meant to be done by them whatever it was that was meant to be happening was meant to be done by them but it's that sense I think I get from you in this conversation of the endless creativity that it that it is never done and you've never missed the boat and it's never too late
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're right I think you're right that's absolutely true and that's one of the kind of exciting things about living in this community that I know people that are 10 20 30 years older than me people in their 90s who are still living wildly exciting and creative lives. Mm. Uh, Today, I went to the beach to see people go swimming in the sea for the annual polar bear swim, you know. There they were, there's, you know, everybody of every age. But I gave somebody a lift there and she was 74 and she's as bright as a pixie. And she told me all about these different times of her life. And then she was already very excited about the next couple of decades to go. So I think you're right. There is that sense of it never ends. Life's really exciting. The only thing that would kill me would be um, if I became a couch potato watching TV all day. (laughs)
0: Mm, Which sounds highly, highly unlikely, highly unlikely. Is there anything I should have asked you, Dorota, that you think, oh, I'm gonna regret not talking about that? Because I know there is a whole plethora of things that we haven't talked about, but is there anything that feels important?
1: Yeah, I think there is something, I think it'd be really good to mention about Kalikolos. Uh, you know, you and I met there, and um, I think you'll agree, it's a really magical place. So all that is coming to an end for the same reasons as many other holistic centres have had to close because of the pandemic, that business model just isn't going to survive. We can't, you know, it's like being in a hotel. We used to um, welcome a group of guests at the beginning of a week, have a, an extraordinary transformative week, then they'd all leave, and then the next lot would arrive. So that's an awful lot of people coming and going. And that's not going to be, I think, a possibility in the near future in that same way. So we've just had a great idea, which is to open up for the very last time this year and to invite everybody who's ever been before and also people who've never had the chance to come before, to come for a long-term community experience. So not just a week, but a bit longer. And I and my fellow team of facilitators would like to facilitate a sort of pop up community. So to have the experience of corn over a longer period of time, but to have it in Greece in this really gorgeous, lush forest on the mountain overlooking the Aegean. So that's actually a really good example of how, uh, you know, I said that my worst beer would be a a carrot potato, I think when you do the same thing again, and again, and again, you get caught in a rut. And I think that might have happened in Kalikolos, but now it's over, really. And now we're already looking at the new iteration of it. So what I'm really excited by is facilitating this pop-up community in Greece this summer. But then I realized it doesn't have to happen again in Greece. So we're going to do it again in Costa Rica in January. Mm. <laughs> and, and now I think, oh my goodness, this is really exciting. I can have the experience of facilitating a Heart style community. Anywhere, anywhere in the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, I, what I'm not interested in is digital online workshops. Everybody else is doing it and I'm delighted that everyone else is doing it, but it's not my thing. So I can truthfully say that I'm very unlikely ever to do that because what I really want to do is to create enlivening, inspiring, real life communities.
0: Mm. Yeah how exciting oh well let's talk about let's talk about that and anyone else that wants to I'm going to put Dorota's website um on the bottom because I hope so for me I mean I think it's probably clear from the conversation um you know from you Dorota I learned about things like social and cultural capital but I I think for me it was those little um I think the importance of stories and you are a storyteller and you teach through story and I think that's really important and I I think one of the stories that you told me when I met you and I was a single mum with a kind of young children and you said, Julie, it's important that you're their roots but you also have to be their wings. You have to show them how to fly. And that was such a, a permission as well to kind of not just be there to kind of look after them but to fly and just permission to fly. And so for me, you really have been alchemical Um, And you're always so very open as well and and sharing some of the stories you have. So thank you so much for the conversation and everyone, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm gonna ask Dorota to give me the details about that game as well. So I'll try and put those in the show notes and then Dorota's website, so you can get in touch with her and find out more about Greece or Costa Rica and and, um, let's all meet each other there. Um, So thanks Dorota, it's been a pleasure. Thank a you. lot of delight.
1: Thank you so much. I was feeling a bit tired and sleepy earlier, but you've you've woken me up. It's been <laughs> it. thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Okay.
0: Hey, thank you for listening. Julie Leone here. You can find out more about me at julieleone.com. But more importantly, if you know people or if you are someone who does a crazy thing or something that you feel passionately about or live slightly differently, then drop me an email at yoursoulworks.com at gmail.com let me know about it and it'd be great to have you or um, your friend if they want to come on to talk about the podcast in the meantime if you liked it please subscribe and if you can leave a review do that way more people find out about it just wanting to share exciting and interesting ideas um, particularly at this weird covid time take care